Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit. And they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. We were sweating the small stuff. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. And then they do homework, and then they have dinner, and then they do homework. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. We're soaking in it. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. This is real school now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about the back-to-school mess. Oh, we're talking about it. We're, as Amy likes to say, we're soaking in it. We're soaking in it. Today was it, the day that we're recording this. I just dropped off my seventh grader for in-person school in New York City. Ta! And I'm so, like, her school did such a great job. And I just want to, like, can we just say at the beginning, before we even start about what a mess everything is, thank you, teachers. Thank you, administrators. Thank you. Huge thanks. The janitors, like, the people who are doing everything they can to make this insane situation at all possible. Thank you. Absolutely. And just to be clear, so New York City public schools, but your kid goes to a private school. So that's why she's able to go. Yes, it's a small, it's a pretty big building with a limited number of students. And so they are able with all of these, you know, pretty onerous restrictions to be in school in person. And so I got a little teary at drop off, I have to say, because it's just supposed to be one way. And this year, it's something else. I'm thrilled that they're open. But walking her down the block to school, it's just always, a, you know, lots of parents taking pictures and like, we're still taking pictures, but it's weird. And I see my friends, but I can't hug them or say hi. And my daughter was whisked into the building into her separate entrance before I could even say goodbye, let alone take a picture. And it's just like, this is not business as usual. Of course it isn't, but it was a little intense. Well, we put a question about this on our Facebook group facebook.com forward slash what fresh hellcast find our group there and i want to give a special shout out to the moms of kindergartners <laughs> okay i feel like it's a really hard year to have a kid starting kindergarten because that feeling that you're feeling which is like wistful melancholy you know misty watercolored memories type tearful feeling. I really, we got a lot of feedback on the Facebook group and it really made me feel for the K parents. Like there's something about dropping your kid off to kindergarten that is a certain kind of a ritual and it is a certain kind of like, you know, watching them totter off and like they're cute and little and they've been going to preschool where it's just, you know, kind of like baby land and then suddenly sending them into the building for kindergarten feels momentous and important. Yes. And I feel like some people are missing that because like their kids are like sitting in front of the computer in the living room and it's kind of a drag. And then the people who are doing it and sending their kids, it's like a little five-year-old Baba in a mask. Like it's scary and hard. And I always joke that I was the mom who was like, goodbye. Like I did not have that problem of bringing my kids to school for the first time. But I also had three in three years. So I was like anything to get away from children basically. But I see you, kindergarten moms. It seems hard to me. It's also, there's something about kindergarten that's like, this is serious, right? This is real school now, and this is no more. I think those of us with preschoolers, it's happening virtually, which is impossible, or it's happening in person, which is also impossible because you can't get a three-year-old to wear a mask for three hours. But like, there's something around that that can feel stressful and hard, but also like, 
whatever. It's a vast experiment. And what if we just have them do more Play-Doh at home? But kindergarten feels like they're missing something that they're supposed to be doing and it has to be working because we're on a path now. I feel like it gets more serious or it feels like it gets more serious. It's like just it's also just a milestone that you feel like got kind of messed up, you know, and I feel like it's not the world's biggest deal, but it's a bummer. And I would like to put in everyone's path that virtual kindergarten is pretty much not a thing that can happen. (laughs) And so if you have a kindergartner, it's fine to just play a lot of Play-Doh and read them a lot of books if you can. Right. If you can be home with them. Have them read some books. Watch educational programming. I would not worry. We've had a couple of questions on the group that are like, how can I keep my child, my kindergartner, sitting in front of homeschool on a video for seven hours a day? And my only response is, please don't do that. That's not realistic. That's not developmentally appropriate. I mean, if your kid's pulling it off and it works for you, fine. But I think kindergarten's a little bit of a wash, guys, if you're virtual. And that's okay, too. There is a a Facebook group called AL Inclusive Therapy. I'll put the link on the show page or you can go to whatfreshhealthpodcast.com and look in the show notes for this episode. And it is so useful. It's two physical therapists who their sort of thing is like not everybody can afford physical therapy or has access to physical therapy for their kids, depending on where you live. And so they have this sort of Facebook page. It's full of tips. Anyway, their tips specifically for little kids online learning are so useful. So make sure you check them out. And it's just stuff like they suggest, I wouldn't really think of this. If you have a kindergartner or pre-K, they don't have to be sitting in a chair. Like some of those kids do better sitting on the floor and they might do a tailor sit or a W sit or like, here's how you can put pillows behind their back. Here's how you can make sure the screen is high enough. It's all these very concrete ways you can make this weird online learning for little ones a little easier. I mean, I know my neck is bothering me. It hadn't occurred to me that you need to worry about your four-year-old's neck too, but there are things you can do that aren't that hard that will make it a little easier. Hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a solid tip, Amy. Good takeaway. It is, right? Because like, we all need better ergonomic chairs and, and neck heights right now. Well, I feel like we often go to the Facebook page, which are like, you know, what's your husband doing to drive you crazy? And we get 400 answers and they're all relevant and fun. And there's a ton of overlap. So what we tend to do with those is we categorize them like these are things that husbands do that are annoying in the kitchen. These are things that husbands do that are annoying while driving. That's like a little peek behind the scenes. That's how Amy and I tend to lay it out. (laughs) So with this, we went out to people on the Facebook page to say, you know, what is back to school looking like for you? And instead of it being that kind of thing of like, okay, here are the eight categories of things people are facing going back to school. The socks on the floor thing. Yeah. It really reminded me, we said on another back to school episode that like borrowing language from the autism community, which is if you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism. If you've met one person dealing with back to school, you've met one person go dealing with back to school. I mean, every single answer is like, yeah. so our school was going to go in person. They changed to hybrid. My husband is an essential worker and I'm a teacher in a different district. Like it's like everybody's got six puzzle pieces that don't fit together in their story. It's like you have your own individual escape room of impossible things that you have to solve for. That's a perfect metaphor. In fact, we just did a virtual escape room for my sister's birthday. Oh, you did? Let me tell you, that's exactly what it's like. It's like, you've got cannonballs, and then over here, there's some strange holes, and then over here, there's a drawer with an eight-digit alphanumeric code. Like, that's exactly what this feels like. And we were just talking before we got on about, you know, and then on top of it, like, my kids are going two days. They haven't started yet. They start later in the week. And... I'm just texting my husband, you know, Amy and I are here trying to record. My kids have to go get trained on the online portal today at their school. Oh boy. And I'm just like, as we're starting to record, I'm like, Amy, hold on one second. I'm texting my husband. Don't forget to fill out their temperature (laughs) on the app before you send them. Like, it's like, it's just a whole new world. And I think one of the things that makes parenting easier sometimes is that there at least is a certain like it's sisyphus because you're always rolling the same ball up the hill yeah but it's always rolling the same ball up the hill too and this is like now you're rolling like a spiky hexagon up the hill like it's a completely (laughs) different 
thing that you've had to do before. And so you don't even have the like, all right, let's get back into our rituals. Let's go to Target. Let's get your shoes and school supplies. Let's line it up by the door. Let's figure out your schedule, print it out, put it on the door. Like we have a routine that does not involve taking people's temperatures and making sure they have masks. That's right. Let's take a minute because I realize we haven't actually said like how old your kids are and, and what their school is doing. And then I'll do the same. Okay. So I will have a third grader a fifth grader, and a seventh grader. We are doing hybrid two days in class and three days asynchronous learning. (laughs) Sounds like you're really on top of the details. Oh, yeah. Well, it's so funny. One of the teachers just called me to be like, I was wondering if you have any questions. And I was like, yes. What is school? That's my question. Like, I was so embarrassed because she seriously was like, have you looked at the schedule? I was like, I know I, I haven't. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not on top of my game. I've been in a bit of a denial about this, and I think I have to stop. But that's basically what we were doing. And my kids are looking forward to going back. I'm thrilled they're going in person two days. The case transmission rate in New York is under 1%, which is a very good marker for like yes. school reopening. So I feel good about that. And in general, I'm really ready for them to go. The one sticky wicket is that my, this is unusual, but where I live, fifth grade starts middle school. And so our elementary school is very like, it's just like a cocoon of warmth and love. Like every day is like, it's your special day. You get to carry the whatever. You get to say the Pledge of Allegiance. It's your special day. Today we're having this theme in the classroom. It's a lovely little school. And this is middle school? No, this is our elementary school in the town. Oh, elementary school. Okay. Uh huh. And so my middle guy just finished fourth grade and now he has to go to middle school. Right. And he always, since like second grade, he's like, I don't want to go to middle school. I don't want to go to middle school. Aww. And They do a really nice job at the middle school of like you come and do an orientation day and you get to decorate your locker. And it's like all these like fun things to be like, see, it's fun to be a big kid. And of course, like that's all getting skipped now. And it's like run through this back door to a classroom you don't really understand. You know, it's that's going to be a drag for him, I think. Yes, I feel for him. I mean, again, we got to put this in context, guys. Like this is not terrible in these ways. There's a lot of people who are in absolutely terrible circumstances because of this that I do not mean to undercut at all. But when I get too much like, oh, it's going to be so hard for my child to transition into fifth grade. I'm like, let's be a little bit realistic that that's maybe not the worst thing that's ever happened to a kid. Yes, but your heart is hard. And this is hard for everybody, as you were saying, in completely different individual way. Somebody put the meme up on the Facebook group of Wallace Shawn from The Princess Bride saying, clearly I can't choose the back-to-school option in front of me. I also can't choose the back-to-school option in front of you. I mean, we're all... Amy, I've never hated to do anything more. What? But I'm going to have to call an old Lux <laughs> alert on that reference. Back in my day. Yes. The Princess Bride. Oh, but it's like, I think that came out 30 years ago. You know, your heart is hard. That's all I'm saying. Your heart is hard. Yes. No, you're not wrong. I just, I hate to think of Princess Bride as an oldie locks alert, but there's no way of getting around that. Yeah. I think that's true. And it's fair. And I think there's, as we were saying, all the different conundrums that come up for all the different people are all hard in different ways. So should I say what my particular heart is hard is? My, my kids are... 12, 16, and 17. I have big kids. And my 12-year-old seventh grader is going five days a week in person in New York City where, like I said, there's lots of onerous, lots of mask wearing, lots of dividers, lots of separate staircases, which of course is wonderful. It's, It's the way that we feel comfortable sending our kids back in. And at least in New York City, there is buy in to that. But coming with that, we had to sign a contract saying that my child would not participate in activities outside of school in person. Like if you do, if your kid's a really good gymnast or travel soccer or whatever, they were like, that's fine, but then you should do online school. You should not come in person. So she made that commitment, even though that means she'll have to do ballet online, which she already did that in the spring. It's not so fun. Yeah. Online ballet is just not what where it's at. Online ballet. Yeah. No, it's a little bit of a drag. And then my Two older kids are in high school and they are, at least for right now, fully remote. High school is definitely easier than the little kids because this high school, even back in the spring and now, is fully synchronous. So these kids are sitting at their Zoom computers 
you know, for six hours a day and then they have a snack and then they do homework and then they have dinner and then they do homework. It keeps them very busy. But of course, even then, my oldest is a senior and missed half of his junior year and is now going to miss, please God, not all of his senior year. And it's just weird and hard. And as you say, there are worse things and that's hard too. I think senior year... Also, those moms need a shout out. And I'm shouting out right to you, Amy. Hi, shout. (laughs) But I mean, for the other moms out there, I think kindergarten and senior year are the lower grades. You know, what am I trying to say? The like non-college schooling hardest. That seems hard to me. And like maybe, you know, kids starting a new school is hard. There's lots of hards. But I think senior year, you also get a tip of the hat. It's a drag. Yeah, it's a drag. You're supposed to be like, I rule the school. I'm kind of like, you know, Mr. Big Shot. And instead, I'm like sitting in my mom's basement in front of a Zoom computer. That's a huge drag. Right. And my kid has been remarkably resilient. And I think it's going to be okay. I mean, of course, it's going to be okay because it has to be. But it is not what we pictured. But I think in some case... My anxiety around this has been anticipatory anxiety. Like I was kind of dreading the first day of school today. And now I'm so grateful. It isn't like I didn't want it to happen. I just was like, what's it going to be like? Is it going to be weird? And so we went and it was a little weird and they're doing it. And I feel so much better now having launched into it, whatever it is, even if it's going to be imperfect. I have something to say about that after this. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need. And yes, Even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. I like the term, Amy, anticipatory anxiety, because that's where I am. My kids start in two days. Oh, okay. So I'm very anticipatorily anxious. (laughs) And it's funny, our transmission rates here are pretty low. There's a lot, I'm not super, super worried about the virus particularly, I'm just sort of worried about managing it all while managing pandemic life, you know? And I think, I mean, one thing is we have been super isolated all summer. So we put in a, you know, backyard inflatable pool. We got some outdoor furniture from 
someone who was giving it away. And we got a bunch of like cement squares and made a patio. And we made this like really kind of silly, but incredibly lovely backyard wonderland. And we've been sitting in it for two and a half months. And (laughs) it's been pretty good. Like my kids are great ages for this. I mean, they're 11, 9, and 8. And so they can be in the house doing their own thing. I can be sitting out back. I've read like seven novels. I've just had a relaxing summer in a weird way because I think a lot of my stress comes from like, I'm not an organized person. And I feel like I have that hum of stress for me comes from like, I think I was supposed to be somewhere today. Oh, I didn't get the doctor's (laughs) note that allows him to go to that right camp and oh is it so and so's birthday did we miss it and and oh for he was supposed to bring you know a costume for you know international day and i have loved living without that hum in my life i'm just like we got nowhere to be and i'm not bored i'm just i'm very happy sitting in our little like wacky backyard pop-up you know resort that we've made <laughs> then you know, I'm using the word resort ironically, just in case that wasn't clear. But I mean, and just kind of like grab yourself a hot dog, heat up in the microwave. Like I have really loved the time away from real life. And I feel anxious about going back to that. There's another part of it too, I think, which is, so we're all sort of like, the end of summer is always hard. Yes. This year, it's really hard because we're heading back into so much uncertainty. And it also, I think, is just sort of a grim. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Like when we were all talking about this in March, April, May, like clearly we're going to be going back to school in September. And what a weird spring that will have been. We were supposed to be done by now. We were supposed to have this figured out by now. Oh, we talk all the time about my sister and I were together the weekend this broke in New York. So again, like New York had a very specific experience of this because it was really happening here early and intense yes right i was sick in in march i was six months ago so yes it was it happened early here yeah if you don't know go listen to our amy had coronavirus episode if you don't know what she's (laughs) referencing but she had it it's true and i remember at some point the school shut for two weeks and i was like god two weeks no school and then the school shut for five weeks and i kept saying like do you really think this is gonna go for five weeks weeks, you know, and of course, we've all had the same experience, which is like, right until Easter, you know, your mind just cannot wrap around the experience of this. And yeah, it's just it's kind of like drudgery of new normal too at this point, which is a different phase. That's what I'm saying, right? Like we are going back to school, like we were not supposed to be at this point, And we are and we have lost any of the diluted optimism, which is but by October 15th, we should all be back to school, this should be fine, this should be gone. We have all sort of slowly come to the understanding that we don't know what this is going to look like. And we don't know how long this is going to go on. And back to school is not the finish line we thought it was. And, you know, December 31st, 2020 will probably also not be the finish line. We all like to think it is right. Like we're all talking about what a dumpster fire 2020 is what a jerk it is. And it is but it's not going to magically change. I have one kid who's like, I can't wait till 2020 is over. That 2020, that New Year's is going to be the greatest whatever. And I'm like, there's really nothing to suggest that the virus knows that December 31st is an important day in our lives. You know, like, I don't know. Right. I better get this done. And who knows? We maybe it'll be much better before then. But this is another point that I think is important. And that is everybody keeps saying, well, you know, our school announced hybrid model and then the county infection rates just got high and they went to all online for six more weeks and then they're going to come back. And I mean, that's the other thing that I think is really hard for people is like, I always say it's like getting stakes in the ground, you know, like you want to put up a tent, you got to have four stakes in the ground. And in my 20s, I was like, I have no job. I'm not dating anyone. I'm like living in a crappy apartment that I have a short lease on. Like I had no tent poles in, you know, and that Mm -hmm. I think it's a very anxiety producing way to live. And like, now, in at my age, especially, I'm very into my tent poles. Like, I've got this husband. Here are my kids. We live in a house that we'll probably <laughs> live in for the next 20 years. You stand over there. Like, I know. <laughs> and then 
But this is suddenly like one of my tent poles has been pulled out, right? Like my kids go to school and I support them with homework right. and then I make dinner. This is like, okay, this plant is so teetering and tenuous. Like we just had in our town, so everyone, the infection rates have been low, everything's fine. And then the first communion class just made their first communion and the priest tested positive for coronavirus the next day. After touching everybody's tongues? Right. After, I mean, it's not a great event, right? It's not great. It's like touching every, you know. Oh, God. Communion. And so now we've got 40 families who are in quarantine, everyone who attended the two first communion services and two other masses. And, you know, I'll be interested to see. I think we're far enough out that maybe nobody got it from that, which would be great news, right? Like, that's good news that like social distancing works, masks work, hand washing works. If this guy had coronavirus and didn't give it to anybody, that would be great, you know? But we don't know yet. And the thing is, if those 40 families start, everybody starts testing, we're remote learning now, you know, because that's like a too big a part of our school district. And I think mm -hmm. mentally... And in every other way, this total lack of being able to understand what is going on and how this is going to look week to week is super hard, you know? It's not even like back to school where you're like, well, it's a drag to be back on a schedule, but we're back to school. This is just like, uh, we're back to school for the week. Keep checking the infection rates, you know? Right. I have some psychology for you. Oh, please. I hope it says, go take a nap and eat cookies. I'm Dr. Mark Freeston and some other psychologists at Cambridge University have uh, just put out a very interesting paper, and I'll put the link to it in the show notes, towards a model of uncertainty, distress in the context of COVID-19. Oh, hit me, doctors from Cambridge. This seems to be right where I'm at. This is where we're at. We have uncertainty, distress is the term they've come up with. And what this means is your subjective negative emotions that you experience in response to the as yet unknown aspects of a given situation. In other words, what we are dreading as our kids begin school is not actually that they have to wear a mask in gym class, although that doesn't sound great, but it's the as yet unknown aspects that are really getting to us. That's what I just said, right? Yes. I should probably go to Cambridge. Yes, exactly. They might have pinpointed it in fewer words, but that's what we're getting at. It's the unknown unknowns and the known unknowns. You know what that is, right? Like the quadrant of the ways you can think of stuff. Donald Rumsfeld sort of famously talked about it during the Iraq war, but there are in every situation, there are the known knowns that like things we now know, like this is going to be hard and we need more tests and masks help, right? There are things that we know we don't know, like the case you were just talking about in your hometown, like will First Communion with everybody masked not be a super spreader event? We don't know yet. That would be very useful information, but we don't know yet. We know we don't know. We don't know how much kids will spread if they're less likely to, to get coronavirus a little, if they're less likely to get seriously ill, our rates in adults still going to go up when kids go back to school. We don't know yet. We don't know how much yet. Absolutely. And then there are the unknown unknowns. And these are the really scary ones. It's the things that you don't know you don't know. Like... <laughs> God, what was that horror movie that Jim from The Office did with Emily Blunt? I'm getting oh, I'm the like, quiet town or something. But right. And like, you know, when they show the newspapers, like if you haven't seen this movie, it's like these aliens are like attacking everybody and they don't know how they're finding everybody. And there are these headlines that they show in these abandoned newspapers that are like, it's noise, it's sound. Like they figured out too late to save everybody that the aliens couldn't see them, but they could hear them. So it took them too long to figure it out. So there's the unknown unknowns. And that's, I think, what's giving you the, I don't have any temples on the ground feeling. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be worried about. Exactly. And I will say, we're also now, whatever it is, two months out from an election that is extremely divisive and contentious. Yes. The news is, you know, all about divisiveness and contention. Like everybody, I don't think there's a lot of people who are like, I don't know how I feel about this. I think people feel very, very strongly about it. And their feeling is that if it goes one way or another, it will be really, really bad and awful for them 
personally and that it may mean the end of civilization as we know it. I think people all over the spectrum feel that way. And it's not helping, you know? Yes. We are in a time, I feel like we have gone from a place where everybody kind of felt like, okay, you know, I mean, listen to this podcast a year ago and we're like, is it important to support your children in their disappointments or to push them harder? Like, it's like we were kind of discussing this very rare era. We were sweating the small stuff. We were sweating the small stuff. And like, as we should have, that's where we were in our lives. But I feel like we've gone from that conversation to like too many sports or not enough, you know, to like, will civilization survive? And it is totally understandable to feel really anxious all the time. I want to add something even more to that. And this election coming up and how important it is, we are also being told that the outcome will almost certainly be uncertain the day of, the week of. Very good point. Right? And so the thing that we're worrying about, the uncertainty of the upcoming election is a problem, but also the uncertainty on November 7th. Is that the day after the election? I think it is like... Fourth, right? Isn't it November 3rd? Formed. Yes, you're right. November 4th. Like we're already worrying about that. We're already tripping about like what's going to happen if we wake up on November 4th and we don't know the answer. I just feel like, yeah, like a year ago, many people felt like they were like on solid land and being like, okay, what's for dinner? And that's annoying to figure out. And <laughs> what should I blah, blah, blah? And should I worry about how much I weigh? And should I, are my kids self-actualized in these correct ways? And it's like a year later, everyone's just been like thrown into the sea. And it's like, there's debris in different areas, but you're like, I don't even know what to grab onto, you know? Yes. And one thing I will say is like, I urge you, and it's something I've been working on myself, to fight that feeling. You feel that way much more than that is actually true. What's that way? Sorry, define that way for me. The like lost at sea, nothing to grab onto, like the world is falling apart in every way. Yes. I would argue, I just went away for a week and I didn't bring my phone on purpose because I was like, I'm going to cut myself off from this. And let me say, I understand the privilege of cutting myself off from the news. And I understand the like, that's right. Certain things don't touch me because of the many, many privileges and advantages that I have. But I think for many people, I would put in your path that disassociating a little bit, realizing that you've done a really hard thing. You survived the height of a pandemic with your kids and you homeschooled them for three or four months. And are about to do it again for yeah. some period of time. Or not, or your kids are going back or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that lean out from the story of I'm drowning and catalog the things in your life that are solid. You know, like I know for myself, it's like we have a home, I have a husband and kids and like we can do this, the three of us. You know, listen, if this goes on a long time, I don't know that, you know, my husband's going to keep his job. I don't know what's going to happen with us. Like, I don't know in a year whether I will have these solid things, you know? It's possible that it, I won't. And that's terrifying. It's possible that I will be living in America I don't recognize. And that's scary. It's possible that all these things, but like, this is not the time to borrow trouble from a year. This is time to be like, this is what I have. This is what works. This is what makes me feel safe. And the rest of it, I'm just going to take it day by day. And I'm going to hold less tightly to like, if my kids don't go back to school in this very specific way, I'm doomed. If the election turns out this way, oh my God, oh my God. Like you got to just find whatever strength is inside of you. I have a reset around this that has really helped me this week. And I'll tell you what it is right after this. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. 
If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. And now, things you say as your kids go back to remote learning. From the What Fresh Health Podcast. Hurry up and finish your breakfast so that I can get the breakfast dishes done so that I can get started on lunch. Get off the fun screens. You have to get on the school screens. Seriously, you have to change your shirt. You've had that shirt on for three days and the teacher's definitely going to notice. Okay, the password was definitely Pizza46 yesterday. I don't really know why it's not working today. Hold on. Let me get out my passwords binder. This is just going to take a minute. No, do not get back on your screens. Okay, you're in. Great. You can catch the last five minutes of class. That's usually when they talk about the important stuff anyway. Oh, I got it. Okay, get off the PS4. Okay, after you kill the Gorgon, but then seriously, come back. I've got it working. The War of 1812 uh, was between France and someone, I think. You know what? Google that one. No, I am allowed to look up the answers on my phone because unlike you, I'm not expected to know fourth grade math. Oh my God, tilt the camera up so your teacher can't see that pile of laundry in the background. I know you're watching YouTube up there while your class is on mute. Cut it out. Okay, okay. There's no reason to cry. I know I said no yelling. I am going to try to stop yelling. Okay, we must be almost done for the day, right? What time is it? How is it only 9.45? This has been Things You Say As Your Kids Go Back to School. From the What Fresh Out podcast. All right, Amy, reset us. We need to reset. Okay, so we're going back to the uncertainty distress, the people from Cambridge University who have talked about this in, specifically in COVID-19, but it you know, relates to other things as well. This is what has really helped me as a takeaway. Threat and uncertainty are separable in your anxiety. Ooh, say more about that. Just because something is uncertain doesn't mean it's a threat. It doesn't mean it's not but it doesn't mean it is. And where we are very stuck is in the uncertainty in itself is causing us distress. We are reacting to the uncertainty as if it's an immediate threat. And to uncouple that, to be able to live in a little bit of uncertainty because we have no choice or a lot of uncertainty without feeling like it is a threat to not have the answer to everything right now will help all of us a great deal. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And yeah, Listen, their point, by the way, not mine. It's in this paper, but I'm like, that's exactly it. Well, why don't you just take credit for it, Amy, and just say, well, well, (laughs) I found the paper. You found it. That's like half the work right there. Yeah. And I think this is the best advice that we can offer ourselves and anyone else because we kind of loop into this conversation and I see it all over Facebook. It's happening, you know, on our group and everywhere else. It's like, well, but... I have a child with special needs who's missing their therapies. Well, but I'm an essential worker and I have no one else to take care of my kids. Well, and believe me, guys, if you think I sound like I'm minimizing this and I'm facing some things in my own life that are super challenging around this and like as part of the podcast, like I don't want to talk about what my kids are going through in their own lives specifically that is challenging because I mean, I'm working it out on, you know, by talking it out, but like, I don't think it's my role to put my kid's business out there, but I hear you. These things are really challenging and they're much more challenging in certain situations and they're much more challenging. And that's right. Like, what if we can't pay our mortgage because the job finally goes away after nine months of like teetering? Yeah, that's a kind of problem that like we will have to figure out 
But me spending a year worrying about it before it happens is actually not helpful. And like, it's a discipline to not lean into that, you know? Yes. Is my kid who struggles going to struggle a lot more being removed from access to things that they need at school, like services and, you know, all of those things? I believe they probably are. And like, what does that look like? I don't know, but I'm trying to figure it out, like, problem by problem. You know the old expression, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Like I'm trying to Mm -hmm. just take the next bite and not be like, this is an impossible situation that will lead to all of our ruin. Right. Well, yeah. Do with the thing that's in front of you instead of the bad thing that might happen. It isn't about being in denial. It's about understanding, oh my gosh, this anxiety that I'm feeling, this stomach ache, this racing heart rate is actually in response to what if the school shuts down, right? Not what do I have to do today? And just explore that. Just be aware of that separation, the uncertainty and threat and that you can choose to react to uncertainty a little bit differently. And I come back to this point, I've gotten flack for it, but I don't know. I think that we are all in the same boat at the same time where everybody is facing different hardships. And so, I mean, my dream is that it would just be like, this is a gap year. Like, go to school if you can, don't do what you want. But like next year, we'll just start again and do it as a gap year because it just feels like this isn't really learning. I just was reading an article last night where they're like, college admissions is going to look really, really different because, you know, it's not the same thing of like, well, did you sit in class and get the right grade all the time? Like, this is throwing everything up in the air. And while until it settles, I don't really see the point in being like, I have to make it come down in these three ways. Because it's just like, you threw a box of pasta up in the air, like who knows where it's going to land. So I'm in that. I mean, I'm in the college admissions thing right now with my oldest. And yes, I am, you know, making friends with the uncertainty because nobody knows. I mean, I read that article, it was a New York Times op-ed about this new book that just came out about college admissions. But basically, the whole article is like, it might be pretty different. Who knows what it's going to be like? It might be harder. Like, it was just a list of the things to be uncertain about. With Nobody can tip the outcome. Will it be even harder to get into a school you're excited about this year or way easier? Or, you know, nobody knows. I talked to two people in medicine this weekend. One was like, I think we're done. I think it's kind of burned through what it's going to burn through. And I think we're I don't think it's ever going to go back to being like it was in terms of like the coronavirus, like And then I text someone else who's like, the fall's going to be worse than ever. You're never going to have seen anything like it. It's like, okay, they're both medical people, both doctors. Yeah. And so I do think for those of us, which is, I think, all moms who are trying to control outcomes, this is a very big test. I think we should talk about a couple of things while we go back to school that we can really actually help with and control. Like takeaways? Yeah. I have one. Do you have one? I do. You go first. I mean, I think the number one takeaway is lots of opportunity to dialogue with your kids around this thing. What are the rules and what are the expectations? I was with my kids. We went out this weekend to the beach and the rule of the beach was like, you don't have to have a mask on when you're sitting down. But if you're at the snack bar, if you're eating, if you're anywhere else, mask on. And I found myself having a similar interaction that I have around other things with my kids, which was like, Mm. on your feet, mask on, you know, and my kid who's good about it was doing it fine. My kid who struggles with organization was not doing it. And my other kid was like 50-50. But I was like, this is just real life again, but with a new factor, which is like masks and how they work, you know, but it's the exact same thing as like the sunscreen fight and the where's your towel fight. There's nothing different about it. It's just a new wrinkle. And so I think getting your kids into new school routines, your mask is by the door, you take it off and you put it in your backpack as you got whatever it is. Or if we're home, like you need to be dressed by this time and then you sit and we use the whiteboard to show you when you get your breaks. And I just think it's still parenting. And so just being really structured with your kids around what you can control and what outcomes you can affect is very helpful. But then worrying about like, what if the school shuts down in January and we're sitting around in the dark and the cold? Don't do that. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) I get that you're worried about that. Oh, believe me. 3 a.m. last night, you could have given me a call, Amy, and we could have really chatted that one through. I could have helped you with that. Yeah. All right. I have one. This is something that Dr. Stephanie Grant said. She's a developmental psychologist. She says that our priority as parents this fall is to remain regulated for our kids more than to provide academic instruction. 
Uh, I wish everybody would hear this and take this away. I think the focus on academics is misguided right now. Well, we have to help. We have to do more. We have to take on more things we don't have time to do and teach math concepts we don't understand and, you know, edit English papers and whatever. But what is more important than doing that or doing that well is not flipping out, is modeling calm and reassurance for our kids Every moment that we can do that, we are, we're winning this moment. I have another helpful thing. I think of all the metrics that are running around and like, how do you make actual decisions about what's going on with coronavirus as a virus? I have found that positivity rates are a good metric of what's going on. Understanding that a positivity rate below 1% for where you live is a good metric that you're really doing well with the virus. And then if I know people who live places where their positivity rates, and this is set in New York by quarantine, right? If your positivity rate is above 10%, you have to quarantine before you can come to New York. So you have to quarantine once you get here. So like if my niece is coming right now from Illinois and we won't see her for 14 days because she's quarantining before we can see her. And I find that a very useful metric in terms of just like, this is how it works. These are some numbers that I understand. And like, this is how we're interacting with people. And as long as the positivity rate in New York currently 1% or under, I'm like, I think we can feel pretty good observing basic hand washing, mask wearing, and social distancing guidelines, and then moving about without anxiety. That's back like to the known knowns quadrant, right? That's my known known. Yeah. And it's a good decision as we start to do holidays and who's going where and who's visiting who. Like, it's just something that we can say, we're not going places with high positivity rates and we're not having people from high positivity rates areas unless they quarantine. And it's taking a lot of like frustrating decision making for me out of the equation. And some of this, like that's why the metrics are so reassuring to us, like six feet apart, right? Like six feet is good, eight feet is better, and it isn't like five and a half feet is terribly more dangerous than six feet, but we've all, we've moved on that. And believe me, I appreciate that it's out there. I try to abide by it, I do it. But we lean on the six feet thing because it's certain. It's a known known. It's something like, if I do this, I'll be safe. Great. Tell me that again, and then I'll do it again. And I think it can be useful as we're talking about like takeaways to sometimes for myself really sit down and make an actual list of like, what can I control and what can't I control? That is to me like the ultimate arbiter. It's the AA mantra, right? Like, help me to, how does it go, Amy? It's like, oh, oh my gosh. The serenity prayer, Margaret, you're talking about, right? It's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That, I think if you take anything into back to school hellaciousness, it's that basically, which is, and the wisdom to know the difference, and then the practice to step apart from things that you cannot change and do not have control over and just keep making the next best decision. And is it more complicated for you? Yes, it is. You're absolutely right. Like dealing with special needs kids at this time, being essential workers, having kids who are starting the college application process, being poor, having no access to, you know, Living in a school district where you think people are making bonkers decisions, living in a state where you don't trust the state guidelines. Right. We get it. You know, it is more complicated for you. And it's easy to say like, well, easy for you to say, because it is easier for me to say than other people. And then there's people for whom it's easier to, for, to say than me, you know? And I think all we can do is say, I don't control a lot of stuff right now. I don't control the outcome of a lot of things that I'm extremely, extremely concerned about. And it's getting colder and darker every day. <laughs> it doesn't feel great, guys. But what can you control and how can you stay? What was the term you just used, Amy? I loved it. Uh, that you have to remain regulated for your child. Regulated. Yeah. And for yourself. That's for yourself, for your kids. I mean, do that meditation, Get take a walk even if it's cold, like 
regulation to me is the top of the mountain for everybody. The top of the mountain is not getting the greatest education you can this year. The top of the mountain is not watching Twitter all day to figure out how the election is going to turn out and worrying about it. Right. The top of the mountain is not like these stupid school administrators are making stupid decisions. The top of the mountain is how do we as a family stay most regulated and past that, that's the only thing I care about. And staying nimble in the face of uncertainty, sort of making friends with it to the extent that we can right now. Not everything that is uncertain right now is a threat to our safety. It's just the unknown unknowns are things that are going to happen, but they won't necessarily be bad. And we need to be light footed and ready to pivot quickly, pretty nimble. And I think we shouldn't get too weighed down by the baggage of worrying about them all ahead of time because it doesn't help. One thing we come back to again and again on the podcast, whether it's like, how do I get this kid to eat more vegetables? How do I get this kid to be more engaged with the family? How do I get this kid to stop throwing these horrible tantrums? The first step that we always give is hold it less tightly. You know, Mm -hmm. the tighter you're like, I will make you eat vegetables. I will make you stop tantruming. The harder it is to achieve your goal. And I think that's our takeaway today is like, try to hold it less tightly. We're going to get through this one way or another. It's going to be interesting and we'll be here to talk about it. Yeah, we'll keep talking in a way, guys. All right, come find us on Facebook. Let us know how it's going with back to school. Unless it's going terrible. No, I guess you can tell us that too. (laughs) Just let us know. I was going to say, just tell us if you have good news. Remain regulated for your child and you can be dysregulated all over our Facebook page and group. Yes. Good point. Come for some hot dysregulation Mm -hmm. on the Facebook page. (laughs) Guys, you know you can find us on Twitter at WFH Podcast. We're on Instagram at WhatFreshHellCast. And we're always online at WhatFreshHellPodcast.com. Find us anywhere. You know where to find us. Talk to you next week, guys. Stay well, guys. Good luck. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.